You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. There's this big frustration about the current administration pushing for these technologies, but then, you know, they're not supportive of projects like Trilogy out of Alaska. Um, the same goes with Twin is, you know, they cancel their 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 federal leases, their mineral lease rights, and they're not even allowing them to go through the permitting process. Twin has a PLA agreement, so it's uh, it's going to be all union-led job. And they're not going to even let them go through the permitting process. And then a couple of weeks later, they... They, they released this fact sheet on supply chain issues about how, you know, we need to have more um, domestic sources of critical minerals. It, it, it really doesn't make any sense. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. I'm speaking today with Ryan Sistad. He's the executive director of Better in Our Backyard, and the website is betterinourbackyard.com. I invited him on to the show because I learned about him. We're both going to be speakers at an upcoming resource investment conference in Chicago in May. I will link to that. And Ryan is uh, an activist in the mining sector in regards to moving forward projects, particularly in Wisconsin and Minnesota. And if you're an investor, uh, these this should be of interest to you because we're going to be discussing U.S. policy as it relates to moving projects forward. One of the risks that we have to assess as investors is, is the jurisdiction safe? And admittedly, there have been some developments recently in the United States that make you not too happy, at least for me. So for example, one of my longtime sponsors, Trilogy Metals, uh, that has supported this show for years that we featured in Alaska, they had their, their permit issued for the road. And then all of a sudden, after a five-year long consultation process, the government says, okay, we're going to relook at that not so fast. And this just destroys uh, confidence. It uh, hurts capital in injections, not even into just Alaska. But across the board in the United States and anywhere that anytime there's uncertainty, there's going to be a lack of investment dollars flowing into the mining sector, which is not good, especially at a time when the government says we need more copper, we need more energy independence, we need these critical metals to fuel this uh, EV revolution. Yet at the same time, it could be argued, and I'm one of the people that argue as such, they're not supportive of quality projects that don't par pose a legitimate uh, harm to the environment. So. Uh, Ryan, welcome on to the show. I kind of did a mini monologue there. Would you agree with most of the talking points that I just laid out there in the inter in introduction? Yes, I do. Yep. All right. So you're the executive director of Better in Our Backyard. Uh, tell us what your organization does, please. Uh, so originally when Better in Our Backyard was created, uh, we were created to promote responsible industrial development uh, in northern Minnesota. And we had a target audience of young professionals where we're trying to promote careers uh, whether it's in the union building trades um, in northern Minnesota or, or just careers in the mining industry or even pipeline industries. And uh, we were kind of created because um, Enbridge's Line 3 replacement project needed some advocacy help along with uh, Polymet's Northmet project out of Hoyt Lakes, Minnesota, and then Twin Metals, Minnesota out of Ely. So we're we're kind of uh, unique in a way where we, we do um, advocacy work for both the oil and gas industry uh, and the mining industry. And historically, uh, Northern Minnesota or Northeastern Minnesota has a rich mining history. We've been mining iron for over 130 years. And um, here in the in the coming years, uh, we're hoping to add copper nickel mining uh, to our portfolio, portfolio, if you will, uh, in this region uh, through Polymet's NorthMet project and Twin Metals Minnesota. So you talk to a lot of politicians, uh, state and national politicians, representatives in Congress. Could you share with us some of the most interesting conversations that you've had over the last, let's say, six months? 
Well, the, the it's interesting in a, in a way where um, it's actually more interesting talking to politicians that disagree uh, with some of these projects because um, many of them in Minnesota that let's say are against Twin Metals Minnesota or against Polymet, they're also the same people that are, you know, going on their Facebook or LinkedIn page uh, talking about how much they love electric vehicles or they, how much they love wind turbines or solar panels. And, um, you know, I'm a fan of renewable energy, um, but uh, and, and some are, but at the same token, uh, you know, you're going to need a lot of copper. You're going to need a lot of nickel for these technologies and especially cobalt as well. And right now, um, especially with nickel and cobalt, we're getting much of those resources from countries far and away that don't have the same environmental and labor standards, but yet here they are going against polymet and twin, but they support the very technologies that polymet and twin would help support through their mineral production. How do you overcome that objection? I uh, worked with a small silver company in Colorado that's fully permitted and they brought politicians into the mine and showed them. And a lot of these politicians would be, you know, farther to the left. So they're, they have bring a lot of those environmental objections, but at the same time, as you just said, then they're also going to lift up the need for copper and, and silver and all these mi- minerals that will electrify our world. And after they toured the mine, I was told by management, they said, you know what, we appreciate what you're doing here. Even if, even if our default position is to not want any mining project to go forward, we appreciate what you're doing here. What can be done to overcome the objections from uh, more of these left-leaning politicians that want to object to every mining project? Well, inviting them to the mines is actually is a great first step. And if that, and if that doesn't work, um, it, you don't want to, it's kind of like in sales, right? You don't want to keep pressuring someone to buy into something that they don't want, or they don't think that they need, because then eventually you'll waste your time. So what I kind of personally have turned to is bringing up some real life stories of folks that actually would uh, benefit greatly from these projects, you know, how their wages would do better, um, you know, how they would better, you know, how they could maybe pay off their mortgage faster, actually provide healthcare for their children. If these mine jobs are to come through, because in Minnesota, the average mining wage pays in excess of over 90,000 a year. I mean, that can, I mean, in many cases, especially in Northeastern Minnesota and the rural communities that can support, you can, you can support a family on just that one income alone. And so to, to promote those stories and to show real life examples is, is the best way um, personally that I've come up with to kind of combat that, if you will, because what politician is going to argue against someone that says, Hey, you know, I can give my 10 year old healthcare now because I have this job. And then another thing too, is uh, historically is, uh, Northeastern Minnesota has a really strong history of union labor, union building trade labor. And, and many of these politicians that are against the mining projects is kind of another irony here, if you will. Um, they, they say they support the union building trades, but then they'll go against these projects that have PLA agreements. And PLA agreements basically means there's a project labor agreement in place where the construction of these mines, whether it's twin metals or polymet, will be constructed by union labor. And yet, you know, they're still going to go against these projects. So I think showing real life examples of middle class, especially folks in the middle class that benefit greatly uh, from these projects is the best way to kind of get them on your side, if you will, because if you can't get them on your side on that, then I don't know what is going to get them on the side of, you know, being in support of responsible mining in Northeastern Minnesota. So could you dig a little deeper and educate me on the relationship between the, the politicians, probably mostly Democrats that... Uh, prov- are resisting some of these projects and then their alliance historically with unions. And, and so, for example, here in uh, Michigan, I, I noticed in the 2016 election here in Michigan, 
that the unions were not supporting the auto unions, that is the auto workers, the UAW unions were not supporting Hillary Clinton the way they had supported past Democratic candidates. Uh, Donald Trump was able to kind of break up that alliance. What are the dynamics going along with these unions that build the pipelines, that build the mines and perhaps some of the Democratic politicians that are opposing these projects that would create a lot of hard paying and well-paying union jobs? Well, it's it's kind of awkward because it's um, historically, you know, um, the left or Democrats ha- have been very friendly to the union building trades. I grew up learning about that from my grandpa and my dad. And um, but lately it's not it's not as black and white as it used to be. Um, so to your point earlier, things are shifting where, you know, uh, I don't I don't want to speak for them on this one because I, I respect what they're doing and 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 what they believe in. Um, but there is to your point, there is a little bit of a shift now where not every not every local is going to endorse the Democrat on the ticket anymore. And a lot of and what I've noticed, a lot of them have just been doing a no endorsement, which I think speaks volumes on on where things are headed. Um, so it's, you know, it, in, in some cases, I think, you know, some of these um, some of these professionals in the union building trades are looking for a home on someone that, you know, will actually stand up for them. Um, because so it's a, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough subject. Let's talk specifics, uh, what you're dealing with, uh, Polymet's North Met project. Uh, tell us what's going on there and what are you trying to accomplish, uh, amidst, uh, this, the, the challenge. Well, it's entering its 17th year of, um, going into a permitting process. It's actually technically Polymet is the first fully permitted copper nickel mining project in Northern Minnesota, but right now it's entering its 17th year. There's still some lawsuits that they have to go through and, um, and some litigation in the courts. Um, but we're hoping that, you know, uh, this time next year, we're talking about construction and, and, you know, getting the mine up and running. Probably, probably should speak to someone that knows more about the permitting process than me, but it's, it's somewhat, <laughs> it's somewhat confusing on my end when, you know, on what, what they're exactly going through, but there, there are some, uh, important decisions coming up here in the coming months. And then you're working uh, or on your website, you have a project you support, the Twin Metals Minnesota. What's going on here? Well, Twin Metals Minnesota is um, is up more by Ely. And um, right now, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, and it's kind of what we talked about earlier with uh, the current administration pushing for more renewable energy technologies, uh, you know, more for more wind turbines, more solar panels, more electric vehicles. Uh, uh, twin, twin had some mineral leases that just got canceled, uh, earlier this year, I believe in January. And, um, and it was by the Biden administration. And, and so, you know, and, and kind of similar to your point earlier, when you mentioned, uh, trilogy metals, um, you know, where there's this big frustration about the current administration pushing for these technologies, but then, you know, they're not supportive of projects like trilogy out of Alaska. Um, the same goes with twin is, you know, they cancel their, their, their federal leases, their mineral lease rights, and they're not even allowing them to go through the permitting process. Twin has a PLA agreement. So it's uh, it's going to be all union led job and they're not going to even let them go through the permitting process. And then a couple of weeks later, they, they, they release this fact sheet on supply chain issues about how, you know, we need to have more um, domestic sources of critical minerals. It, it, it really doesn't make any sense. So uh, twin right now is is um, is battling this the best they can. They're in they're in this for the long haul, and um, they're going to continue to invest in in northern Minnesota, and they're going to continue to be optimistic about um, creating a successful mine. 
So we're seeing a crisis in war in Eastern Europe, uh, Ukraine and Russia, NATO and Russia. And this has affected the gas prices and the price per barrel of oil here at home. How do you see this potentially impacting the general awareness of just an average person in America for the need for critical metals and for natural resources domestically, or at least close to home? Well, I, I really hope that it's showing why it's good to be energy independent, this crisis. I mean, it's it's an unfortunate crisis, um, uh, the war in Ukraine. But I, I do hope that, you know, one of the things that comes out of this is that um, people all across the world, you know, and, and not just the U.S. realize and understand, you know, why it is important maybe to have your own source of materials, whether it's minerals or, or oil production. And, the, in the, in the, and it can't be stressed enough here in the U.S., um, you know, why not, why not promote energy independence here in the U.S. while you can? I don't think that's a bad thing. And then also, too, um, especially with critical minerals, this really highlights that if this doesn't highlight the issue of critical minerals, I don't know what else would. Um, you look at Russia. I got to recheck the numbers. Um, but from what I understand, I think in 2020, they produced roughly 270,000 tons of nickel. And the U.S. is just at 14,000 a year. I think the last recorded date was 2020, 2019, around there. And the only nickel production that the U.S. has is, is out of the UP and Michigan Eagle Mine. And that's, I think that is projected to run out of nickel by 2025, 2026, around that area. So after that, the U.S. doesn't have any technical, you know, nickel ore production. So where are we going to get it from? And, and the fact that Russia <laughs> produces that much more than the U.S. Uh, is, is, is alarming. Do you think this crisis also is bringing to the awareness of the need for oil and for a lot of these electrical vehicle revolution batteries? One thing that I've argued in just conversations, not so much on this show, is that these energy transitions don't just happen overnight. So I think that a lot of the expectations in terms of the time frame that politicians are putting on the transition from uh, petroleum to these battery metals and the electrification and renewable energy, I don't think it's realistic. And I think a lot of middle class and lower middle class people could get severely hurt because they're not going to be able to afford prices or they're going to have to deal with supply shortages. Uh, maybe from your perspective, share a little bit of how you see the whole oil and, and mining complex working together maybe throughout this uh, transition? Well, as far as I'm concerned, the oil and gas industry, we're, we're always going to need it. You know, we're going to need it for our energy transition into renewables. And, you know, and as we talked about earlier, you know, um, electric vehicles are great, all that stuff. But right now it's not, you know, you look at history with the U.S. and with capitalism and whatnot, usually when products first come to the ground, whether like a cell phone, for example, like a, like the first flip phone back in the late eighties was, I, I, I wasn't born yet, but I think they're over a thousand bucks. And it was, it was kind of considered to be a rich man's thing. Right. And, and then in order to have a cell phone in your car, now you look and everyone with all um, types of income, sources of income has a cell phone. They have the same iPhone, they have the same Blackberry. And I think the same will be said about electric vehicles, but maybe 15, 20 years from now, not right now. I, you know, I mean, most of these electric vehicles that you're seeing are in excess of 50 grand a year. So when you hear politicians talk about how, oh, why don't you just switch to an electric vehicle so you don't have to fill up your tank? Well, tell that to someone that's making 30 grand a year, you know, and, and, and they're driving around their Audi, their, you know, in 2002 Audi, and they're just trying to get as much gas mileage as they can. Um, so, you know, to your point, it, we're always going to need the oil and gas industry. We're going to need it for the plastics in Tesla's. I mean, you need you, you're we're always going to need this. And um, and I and I don't see it personally. I, I always will see the U.S. using 
oil and gas in the future, whether it's for energy needs, whether it's for our plastics, there's, there's always going to be a use for it. And to act like there won't be, I think is delusional. Ryan, your website is betterinourbackyard.com. Uh, share more what listeners can find there and where else can they follow you on the web? So right now, you know, obviously go to our website, but where we're really active is on our Facebook page. Um, and then also too, we have a LinkedIn page and I, and I won't be here in the next uh, couple of weeks. We're, we're also going to try to get into the Twitter world. So I've been getting some pressure from that. I'm already addicted to LinkedIn and Facebook. So I didn't want another platform to be <laughs> on, but um, when you get asked a couple of times, it starts making you realize you probably should get into that too. So, um, but yeah, no, basically right now we got a Facebook and LinkedIn page and uh, we try to stay active every day on it. Excellent. Well, I will link to both of those in the show notes below so you can uh, follow what Ryan is doing. Uh, Ryan, really appreciate this conversation and thank you for coming on the show today. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.